listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. We're in the middle of a series called Vision for Life, and in this series, we're exploring God's vision and mission for every individual Christ follower, and God's vision and mission for every Christ-following family, and God's vision and mission for every Christ-following church. Not only that, but also exploring and looking into the five core values that every Christ follower, every Christ following family, and every Christ following church should embrace and prioritize. We spent some time talking about simplicity, the value of simplicity. We also spent some time talking about the value of movement, not just movement in general, but in particular, the movement of the Spirit of God. And that's what we spent our time on last time together. But that topic is so important, so practical for every Christ follower, for every Christ following family, and for every Christ following church that I thought we probably ought to spend a little bit more time on this idea of the movement of God. The movement of God is tremendously important, vital, and essential for your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The movement of God, the presence and the power of God is absolutely essential for your family if you have a Christ-following family. And wouldn't you know that the movement of the Spirit of God, the presence and the power of God is absolutely essential for every single Christ-following church. Now before we delve into, again, this idea of the movement of God, this value of the movement of God, I want you to join me for a moment in closing your eyes. Now if you're listening by podcast, don't do that if you're driving your car. Don't do that. But for everybody else, take a moment to close your eyes and imagine with me, this is not a guided imagery practice, so those of you who might be listening by podcast, don't think that Pastor Mike's got new age on everybody. We're not. It's a practical exercise here. I want you to think for a moment of where you envision yourself a year from now as a Christ follower. What does that look like? I want you also to think about where you will be in your family, in a Christ-honoring, Christ-following family. Where will you be in your family a year from now? What does your family look like in honoring Christ? Then I want you to think about your church, this church. If you're listening by podcast, your church, I want you to think about what This church looks like, the church that you're part of, what does it look like a year from now when it comes to following Jesus Christ and moving with Him? Think again now, five years into the future, ten years into the future, your individual life, your family, and your church. What does that look like when it comes to moving in the power and the presence of God? And now I want us to open our eyes together and look at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. It is important to pause often and to reflect and to think about where you want to head in the course of your life. Taking a moment to close our eyes and to pause and to reflect on where you want to be a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, as a Christ follower or as a Christ-following family or as a Christ-following church is absolutely, absolutely important. 
that we slow down and we reflect and we anticipate what might that look like. Well, here's a particular passage of Scripture that helps us in this journey, helps us understand what it looks like to walk with God in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The filling with the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential if you expect to move with God. If you expect to have God carry you along and you expect to have your life characterized by the movement, the power of God, you have got to be a person who prioritizes the filling with the Holy Spirit. That also has to happen in your own family. If you expect for your family to be one that is characterized by the movement of God, it's up to you. You have to make it a prioritization that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will move with the Lord. It's not possible to move with God and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the same thing is true in the church and the body of Christ. Any church that expects to move with God, expects to be characterized by the presence and the power of God, has to prioritize the filling with the Holy Spirit among her individuals, among her families. The sum is the whole of the parts. It's absolutely essential. Don't you think that we have had enough individually of playing Christianity? Don't you think that we've had enough in this day and age in which we live where we've kind of toyed with in our families being Christian families just in name and not being characterized by the movement, the presence, the power of God in our families? And sadly, don't you think that it's high time that God's people who are part of the church, the body of Christ, stop being satisfied with just singing songs to Jesus and gathering one day out of the week as a highlight for all of the week and simply gathering and being known by this ecclesiastical term called church, don't you think that it's time that the body of Christ begin to be recognized by the movement, the presence, and the power of God? What is it going to take in this day and age in which we live to wake us up individually and within our families and within the body of Christ to help us realize that the filling with the Holy Spirit is one of the most assumed, presumed, and misunderstood vitalities, matters of importance in the body of Christ and in every single Christ-following family and in every single Christ-follower. Now, the baptism with, by, or in the Holy Spirit is something that happens to every believer the moment they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and God. You're baptized into one body by one spirit. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The moment somebody accepts Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they are baptized, immersed into the body of Christ. The moment somebody realizes it happened when, it, when you gave your life to Christ, it's going to happen the moment you give your life to Christ after we're done today. 
The moment a person, regardless of their race, regardless of their financial status, regardless of their moral background, regardless of their looks or lack of looks, the moment somebody looks upon Jesus and recognizes that he died in their place, not just for the whole world, but for them individually, and took all of your sins upon himself the moment somebody acknowledges that Jesus Christ is their Savior personally and died in their place, they're born again, saved by the Spirit of God, and baptized into the body of Christ. They receive the baptism in, with, by, of the Holy Spirit. It's conditioned upon personal saving faith, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have to be someone who acknowledges Jesus Christ personally, individually, as having died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins before you can receive the Holy Spirit. But the moment you do that, God gives you somebody that you didn't realize you needed, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And he gives you the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. It's conditioned upon saving faith. Well, in a similar way, the filling with the Holy Spirit or the empowerment by the Holy Spirit is conditioned upon choice. You know, when we read the book of Acts, in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, there's a guy named Peter who denied Jesus three times. And this same guy, Peter, is filled with the Holy Spirit, not just on the day of Pentecost, read it for yourself, but multiple times thereafter. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached the Word of God. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's true in the life of Peter, who denied Jesus three times on record, and I don't know about you, but I've denied Jesus many more than three times, I need the filling with the Holy Spirit. I like what D.L. Moody said, I leak and so do you. We need the filling with the Holy Spirit. Now, look what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery is doing something with your mind and then with your body that you otherwise would not do if you hadn't had too much to drink. And some of us know full well what that means. Unfortunately, I know full well what that means. When you have too much to drink, you think things that you otherwise would not think, and then you begin to do things you otherwise would not do. You lead people astray because you're led astray. And what Paul is saying, you are not to be filled with anything, whether it's wine, he's just using that as one example, or anything that would cause you to do things that would not glorify Jesus Christ. Don't be drunk with wine, for instance. Don't be filled with anything other than the one thing who is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. Don't be filled with anybody or anything other than the Holy Spirit. The filling with the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential in your life if you are going to be moved by the Spirit of God, if your life is going to be characterized by the movement, the presence, the power of God. The filling with the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential in your family. If you're going to put your foot down and say, enough is enough, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got to make up your mind. I've got to make up my mind on a daily basis. As for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. I will not allow my house to be filled with anything other than the Holy Spirit because to allow my house to be filled with something other than the Holy Spirit is to sacrifice the movement and presence and power of God that I otherwise would experience. And in these dark days in which we live, if you don't fight for your household, somebody else will. In fact, somebody else is. If you've been paying attention to the news just on Friday, what was happening in the public schools, you know that the public school leaders are trying to influence your children and my children and other children. You might say, well, it's not my children. Listen, this nation is being affected by what is being taught in the public school system. Don't you dare think that coming on a Sunday morning to a church service and listening to a message from the Word of God is sufficient to turn this country around. It's not. If we're going to have a mighty movement of the Spirit of God in our lives individually and in our families and in our churches, if it's going to be, it's up to me. What are we afraid of? Sticks and stones may break our bones, but names scare the daylights out of us. They do. Since when do we care about being persecuted for the sake of following Jesus Christ? If you don't make up your mind about persecution in your personal life, if you don't make up your mind about persecution in your family, if you don't make up your mind about persecution in the body of Christ, you will never be part of a movement of God characteristically. Characteristically. Characteristically in your life, your family, and the church. Isn't it high time? brothers and sisters, that our lives are characterized by the movement of God? Isn't it a high time that our families are characterized by the movement and the power and the presence of God? Isn't it high time that in the body of Christ, irony of, of ironies, that the church that bears the name of Jesus birthed by the sacrificial death burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and the, the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, isn't it high time that the body of Christ be characterized not by anything else than the filling with the Holy Spirit? Do not be drunk with anything. Don't let yourself, don't let your family, don't let your church be led by anyone or anything other than the Spirit of the living God. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? Do you think I'm trying to give an eloquent message when I'm saying that? There's nothing more practical that I could be saying at this very moment in what seems to be the latter of the last days as the sun seems to be going down on our nation and on this planet, the solution has always been the same. The problem is that you and I have allowed ourselves to be pushed into a corner and bullied around as if we have something to apologize for because we serve the living and true God. As if we, as if we have something to be ashamed of 
Jesus hung publicly for you and for me. Aren't we willing to take a stand for Jesus publicly, individually, and in our families and in the body of Christ? If not now, then when? If not you, then who? The greatest need in your life. The greatest need in our lives is a genuine, mighty movement of the Spirit of God. The greatest need in our families, I'm not saying it's strong enough, the greatest need in our families is for a mighty movement of the Spirit of God. And the greatest need in the body of Christ, the church that bears his name, is a mighty movement in the spirit of God. See, I know that from firsthand experience, being in seminary in 1996, almost ready to graduate. And I had spent about seven years of personal time before seminary reading about revival history, stories of revival not just in the Bible, but also in History, human history outside of the Bible, like the first and second great awakenings in the United States and in England and other parts of the world, in Indonesia. And I come to that point in my life where I realized, you know, I could come to my last heartbeat and my last brainwave only being familiar with how God moved in the lives of other people. Can you imagine that? being enamored with how God moved in the lives of other people at some other time? I mean, come on. That's a fate worse than death. But on April 2nd, 1996, I was on an airplane at 6.37 in the evening. I was on United Airlines Flight 2889 from Portland, Oregon to San Francisco, California, the first of four flights I would be taking to eventually have me end up on Henderson Field in Guadalcanal in the Solomon Islands, a place where epic battles were fought over Guadalcanal between the Japanese and Allied forces, ended up being a turning point in World War II, ended up being a turning point in my life as well. Not because this was a ministry trip. I had been on ministry trips before. I have preached the gospel by the grace of God. Listen, I want you to understand, I've been on four continents preaching the gospel. I've been to 20-some countries, but this was not just a ministry trip. This was a quest because I had heard that God was moving in true revival in the Solomon Islands, and I wanted to go. I did not want to simply go through the motions of Christianity. I did not want to simply have a few alphabets after my name, after having gone through seminary or being ordained. Who cares? The only thing that matters is being filled with the Holy Spirit, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Have anything and everything contrary to the Holy Spirit removed by an act of choice and being filled by the Holy Spirit. We took this first leg of the flight and then it left San Francisco and went to Sydney, Australia, and then we went to Brisbane and the Gold Coast of Australia, and there we spent three days, myself 
and 20 other fully grown men who were church leaders or about to be church leaders. Some of them were younger, some of them were older. Some were pastors of churches, others were elders and leaders in churches, others like myself was preparing We were preparing to be church leaders in some capacity, some evangelists, some pastors, whatever the case might be. There were 21 of us, some Australians, some Americans, and an aboriginal. And we got together, and we prayed, and we read the Word of God, and we sung songs of worship, and we confessed our sins. Those of us who didn't even know each other for that long at all, in fact, I only had met one of the other guys, the team leader, the year before and talked to him for a few hours. We began to confess our sins to each other over a three-day period, having meals together, fellowship together. I mean, that's all we did. We would have communion together. We would have meals together. We would spend the bulk of our day in prayer, songs of worship, and then confessing sin. But for me, an interesting thing happened, and if you don't mind, I'll air some of my laundry because I have the same laundry that you have, and you have the same laundry that I have. And therefore, what happened to me is not something unique. It's simply something biblical. And if it happened to me, it can also happen to you. You see, what happened was I began to confess sin in my life that I had already confessed to the Lord. Because as we spent time in the Word of God for hour after hour and singing songs of worship to the Lord for hour after hour and having communion in a non-rushed, non-hurried, meaningful, biblical manner, day after day, something began to happen. I began to move from confession of sin to sickness over my sin. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Confesses and forsakes them. Do not make the confusion of what I had confused. Do not confuse confessing sin with forsaking sin. See, I had confessed sins before the Lord, some of the same sins repeatedly before the Lord, but I had not come to that point where I actually was disgusted over those sins. One particular sin that I have in mind right now. And for you, it could be some other sin. You can fill in the blank with whatever it is. It's all the same at the feet of the cross. But what happened was, as I spent time with my brothers and sisters, and as the book of Hebrews says, don't forsake assembling with one another, as some are in the habit of doing, it's important to get together with other believers. We were meeting with somebody a few weeks ago, and they said, I have my church online. Oh, no, you don't. You have your sermon online. You might have your podcast while you're driving around in the car, listening on the the God Factor app or listening to whoever you might like to listen to. But the idea of assembling with other people where the Word of God is elevated and you're singing songs of worship is not 
a virtual experience. That is real flesh and blood where God deals with the flesh. And I began to realize because I was in the Word of God with these other brothers, and we were singing songs of worship, and the power of the Lord Jesus was present, similar to what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with the immoral brother. He says, when I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. See, this is all very practical. There's nothing mystical, nothing esoteric, nothing bizarre about the filling with the Holy Spirit at all. It is so practical that we really shouldn't even be debating about it. You can have as much of the filling with the Holy Spirit as you are willing to tolerate. As long as you realize that you must be serious about anything and everything that will otherwise take up space that the Holy Spirit would love to occupy. When we were there over not just day one, not just day two, but day three, I was confessing sin and forsaking sin and weeping with these other men as they wept over their sin. How much sin could develop between 21 guys who are on a ministry trip, for Pete's sake, on a ministry trip to change the lives of other people, to touch and impact the lives of other people. And the Lord said, you want to touch and change and impact the lives of other people? How about if I touch and change and impact your lives first? It's wonderful that you're in seminary and you want to be prepared for ministry to touch and change and impact the lives of other people. How about if I give you a lesson or two on the filling with the Holy Spirit and how sin chokes off the movement, the presence, and the power of God in your life? And how about if I show this whole team of men, pastors and elders and ministry wannabes, how about if, of which I was one, how about if I show all of you together that confession of sin is one thing, forsaking of sin is another. It is through the confessing and disgust and drawing the line in the sand where you say, that's it, I've had enough. It is in the confession and forsaking of sin that we find, as the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, mercy. Mercy. Do you know anybody who needs the mercy of God in their life? The mercy of God in their family? The mercy of God in the church? The mercy of God in this nation? Do not confuse confession of sin with a disgust and a distaste and an abhorrence toward sin. That's what it means to forsake sin. We need a movement of the Spirit of God in our lives like never before. What else has to happen in our nation before we begin to realize that it's not up to the public school leadership to teach our children values that we should be teaching our children? 
When are we going to realize that the church is supposed to be victorious and triumphant, characterized by the power and the presence and the movement of the Spirit of God, that we are God's first solution to this deep and dire problem that we are facing? If not us, then who? If not now, then when? What else has to happen to help us realize that we must be hungry for a mighty move of the Spirit of God, a lifetime of movement of the Spirit of God in our individual lives and in our families and in our churches? It is high time. It's past time that we have a mighty movement of the Spirit of God in our lives, in our families, and in the body of Christ. Can I get an amen for that? Do not allow yourself to be filled with anything, and I mean anything, whether it's wine, whether it's bitterness, whether it's jealousy, whether it's contempt, whether it's a critical spirit, whether it's a foul mouth, whether it's foul thoughts, and nobody even knows that you have those foul thoughts because they're just not coming out of your mouth, but they're sin nonetheless. Remember, Jesus said, if a man even looks lustfully at a woman, he has committed adultery with her in his heart. That's God's definition of sin. Whatever we harbor in our hearts, whatever we harbor in our minds, sometimes those are the deepest, darkest, most damaging sins which we must not only confess, but we must also forsake to obtain the mercy of God. And what God was doing with me and that team of unsuspecting guys who we thought we were going there to do ministry and to serve the Lord, and I was on a quest for the power and the presence of God for more of Jesus. I'm not talking about some magical thing, Lord, give me the the zap, give me the power, and not you, Jesus. No, I wanted to taste and see that the Lord was good. Be careful of anyone who tries to impress you with, you need this gift, you need that gift, you need to seek God for this, you need to seek God for that. No, what you need to seek God for is more of his presence and his power in your life, and then God will determine what gift he gives you. God will determine the timing and the circumstance. I have found, as maybe you have found too, that my work is to do the dirty work, to cooperate with the Spirit of God. When God speaks to me about an area or an areas of my life, I need to say, yes, Lord. My response to Jesus as a matter of habit before I even know what he's asking must be, yes, Lord, whatever it is. Not maybe. Lord, whatever you say to me, I know it's good because it comes from your mouth. Whatever comes from your mouth needs to not just go into my ears, but it needs to get to my brain and my heart and into my lifestyle. I was realizing there with those other brothers in the context of that three-day prayer and confession time that there was more cleansing that needed to happen in my life before God could flow, God could move, God could touch other people's lives through my life. But after our three-day time period, having been cleansed, having been washed, having dealt in a way that I had never dealt with my own sins as a follower of Jesus Christ before, as a matter of sanctification, as a matter of sanctification, important in the life of a Christ follower, important in a Christ 
following family. Your family must be characterized as being set apart, different from the rest of the world, not high and mighty and self-righteous. We had enough of that. Humble and broken, but by the grace of God go I. It's no wonder that 40% of young children who are homeless also struggle with their sexual identity. No wonder why. That role of a parental figure, of a guardian in that life of a young adult, of a young child, is absolutely essential and important. No wonder why 40% of homeless children struggle with their sexual identity. You remove the parents, you remove the guardians, you remove the standards that are provided in the Word of God with brokenness and humility, not self-righteousness, but with brokenness and humility. You remove the teaching of the Word of God with fear and trepidation, with, without an attitude of, but by the grace of God go I. And of course, the children will recreate God in their own image, although He's no God at all. And as the children go, are you listening? As the children go, are you really listening? As the children go, so goes the nation. I'm not sure that we have five more years in this nation. Because the children and the teens that are 14 years old now, who will be of voting age four years from now, will not vote necessarily according to biblical standards because they don't necessarily like biblical standards. Don't necessarily want biblical standards. If ever we needed a move of the Spirit of God in our own lives, it's now. If ever we need and needed a move of the Spirit of God in our families, it is at this very hour. And if ever we needed a move of the Spirit of God in the body of Christ, the church, it is now, not next week, not the week after. Listen, I know Jesus is coming back, and you do too if you read your Bible. I just don't know when he's coming back. I know what happens at the midnight hour. We have the book of Revelation. I'm a little bit more concerned about what happens at 11 o'clock and what I might have to endure, what you might have to endure, what we might have to endure if we allow apathy to rule and reign, if we allow cowardice to rule and reign, if we allow a lackadaisical attitude toward our own sin to rule and reign. Whoever confesses and forsakes his sin shall obtain mercy. Do not confuse confession of sin with a disgust and a disdain and a forsaking of sin. Those two are essential. Hand in glove. I'm telling you as an eyewitness, they go hand in glove to experiencing the undeserved mercy of God that qualifies us to have an impact we otherwise would have no right to experience. It is not what we do for God. It is what God does through us despite ourselves.
That's the mercy of God. After three days in Brisbane, Australia, we took a four and a half hour plane ride and landed in Henderson Field in Guadalcanal in the capital of in Haniera on the Solomon Islands. And we did some sightseeing, did a little bit of orientation, and then the next day we decided that we would do some serious sightseeing in the capital, but not until after we spent an hour together in prayer. We would spend an hour, the 21 of us together in prayer, seemed to be a spiritual thing to do, seemed to be kind of the thing that you would do on a ministry trip, spend a little bit more time in prayer before you go out and try to change the world. And then we would have that afternoon to go and do some sightseeing in the capital. So we gathered together at Haniara Central Church in one of the buildings there, and the 21 of us were there in a circle, and for 10 minutes, and then 15 minutes, and then 30 minutes, and then 40 minutes, and then 45 minutes, you know, the prayer meeting was one similar to what you might have been to one or two times in your life, you know, the kind that keeps you away from a prayer meeting. Boring. Praying our prayers, and it's as if they're hitting that nine foot ceiling and bouncing right back down on us. And I'm thinking, when's this thing going to get over? 45 minutes this goes on. Just a flat prayer time, the kind where it seems like it's going nowhere. You can think of a bazillion and one other things that you'd rather do that would be more, can I be very American here? Productive, expedient, beneficial, self serving, get me ahead, make the most of my time. No, 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 no. 45 minutes into this flat, going nowhere prayer time, one of the Australian brothers across the room from me stands up and he goes, hey, do you think we could ask God to lead our time? Wow. <laughs> and it, don't you love it? It wasn't even from one of the pastors. Don't you think we could ask God to lead our time? And the team leader, three people over from him says, that's right, fellas. It's my fault. We should have begun that way. Lord, I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. And this little man puts his hands to his side, and we were all standing on a cement floor, no carpet, no nothing, puts his hands to his side, and without putting his hands in front of him to block the fall, falls face first right onto the cement floor. And he's out. He's out. It was as if somebody had flicked a switch. The whole atmosphere of the room suddenly changed. Suddenly, guys were talking to each other. These same guys who had spent three days, and I was one of them, confessing sin and forsaking sin. This same group of guys who hardly even knew each other, except for a few of them. I mean, how much sin can develop between a group of guys on a ministry trip, apparently more than we realized. It was as if I had been immersed in a beehive instantaneously, and one Australian guy came to the side of the guy on the ground, and another one came to the side, and they were asking, what do we do? Should we wake him up? Should we touch him? And the decision was made to leave him alone because he was out. And while this brother is on the ground completely out, and now you could see two and clusters of three guys talking to each other and beginning to weep. I said, oh, brother, here we go again. Here we go again. And across the room in a folding chair, not very 
unlike that one. Was a young man in his early 20s sitting in that chair, and I was about maybe 15, 20 feet away, standing on the side praying, oh Lord, here we go, as the atmosphere in the room had been instantaneously changed. And as I stood there, the Lord spoke to me as clearly as I'm speaking to you now. Now, that might blow your circuits when you hear me say that. It blew my circuits because it happened to me. And I'm not Pentecostal. I'm not charismatic. But I do believe in the power of God. I'm standing there. And I hear the Lord say to me, do you see that brother over there? And I said, yes, Lord. He said, he has a spirit of jealousy and pride toward you. And I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? The Lord said, nothing. Watch what I do. And so I took a step back and leaned against the folding table that was behind me, and I began to pray. So I could hear the, the now loud groanings and weeping of the men in this room. And it became obvious that we weren't going anywhere in ministry until God was finished with us. And about five minutes passed, maybe ten minutes passed, and I looked over at the chair where the man was sitting, the young man was sitting, whom God spoken to me, had spoken to me about, and I had asked the Lord, Lord, confirm if that was you. If you ever think you hear a voice from God, God will not be offended if you ask him to confirm it. In fact, you should ask God to confirm. Don't ever get launched into something unless you clearly know that God has spoken. Many train wrecks have happened because people thought it was God when it wasn't God at all. And so I'm asking God, Lord, show me, confirm if that indeed was you. And over in the chair, this young man sat there, hunched over with his elbows on his knees, changing his position, shifting his position, obviously agitated as all around the room men are confessing sin and praying and weeping together and asking for forgiveness. And this guy in his chair is shifting, putting his leg up on another leg, <sighs> breathing heavily, <sighs> obviously agitated, moving and changing his position and just about to get up and then sitting down again for 10 minutes and 15 minutes, obviously wrestling and struggling until then he put his hands on his knees, stood up, and made a beeline right for me. And as he comes over to me, tears streaming down his face, his face red because he had been crying so hard, he put his left hand on my right shoulder and he said, God convicted me that I've had a spirit of jealousy and pride toward you. The exact words that I had heard God say to me earlier. I forgave him. We prayed together. But the confession and the repentance and the weeping of the grown men who were ready to do ministry together and take the world for Jesus didn't end after that hour. It didn't end after two hours. It didn't end after three hours. It didn't end after four hours. It didn't end after five hours. It didn't end after six hours. It didn't end until after seven hours later. Needless to say, we did no sightseeing that day at all. But we did get a deeper look at Jesus. We did get a deeper look at ourselves. 
we did begin to understand what the Scriptures teach very clearly in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and how it pertains to a movement of the Spirit of God, how this pertains to your life and mine, how this pertains to your family and mine, how this pertains to the body of Christ, your church and mine. How practical the Word of God is. Don't be drunk with wine, which will lead you to do things you otherwise would not do. Don't be filled with anything other than the Holy Spirit. Only then, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, can we give God great glory. Only when we are filled with the Spirit of God can the movement, the power, the presence of God move mightily in your life and my life. And it's right here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look with me. At verses 20 and 21, now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Here we have the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, writing to followers of Jesus Christ and telling them that your ability, our ability, everyone's ability to be useful for the master, ready for every good work, is conditioned upon a thorough house cleaning. You know, when we were in that seven-hour prayer time, it was timeless, None of us could believe after it was done that we had been there for seven hours. You know, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day before the Lord. You read these accounts in historic Bible revival accounts. You read these accounts of time seeming to stand still. And I'm telling you with God as my witness, that's the way it was. Seven hours? No one would come to a seven-hour long prayer meeting the way we do prayer meetings. But if we would show up hungry for a mighty movement of the Spirit of God, maybe God would do something that we wouldn't expect. Maybe God would do something that is totally normal, though abnormal for us. Transform us and catapult us into his garden in ways that we long for. Ways that we dream about in ways that we desperately need. We need. Not that it would be a good idea. We need. Not that it would be something that we could schedule and plan. We need at this hour in our lives individually a mighty movement of the Spirit of God. We need in our families at this hour hour in world history, a mighty and mighty movements of the Spirit of God. And we need in this church and in every church a true and mighty movement of the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you with God as my witness, it is conditioned upon how serious we become over our own sin and not the sin of the world our own sin and not the sin of the world. We are God's plan A. There is no plan B. If the church 
does not arise, there is no hope. If the church does not arise at this hour, this hour, there is no hope. But oh, if the church does arise, there is hope. There is hope if God gets a hold of your life and of mine. There is hope if God gets a hold of your family and mine. There is hope if God gets a hold of his church, of which we are part of. In a large house, there are objects of gold and silver, but not only gold and silver, also of wood and clay. If a person gets serious about those things that don't matter, those things that are encumbrances, those things that are sins, those things that are getting in the way, he, she, we will be used by God, Almighty God. Individually, God will move in our lives, in our families, God will move. And in our church again, God will move. That is what you need. That's what I need. That's what we need. We need a mighty movement of the Spirit of God because it is not possible to water God's garden with a kinked garden hose. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.